For the last few weeks, we've been studying life words, life words, words that we say we may have heard once or twice in Sunday school or from a pulpit, but we may not fully understand what those words mean. And so we've been, so far, we've studied propitiation. It's a big word, but very significant, talking about how God's wrath is away by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We've studied redemption and how he pays the price to set us free. We talked about reconciliation last week and how he removes whatever is causing the conflict or the war between us and him, and it's our sin. And in each case, he is doing it. He's the one doing it. So today our word is justification. He erases guilt with endless grace. Justification. A little over 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, we know that October 31st date is Halloween in our culture. Uh, some churches celebrate All Souls Day on that day. Um, other churches know it as Reformation Day because on October 31st, 1517, a man named Martin Luther had made a rediscovery, not a discovery, but a rediscovery of some basic Bible truth about justification. And he took 95 points to his message, 95 theses, and he nailed them to the door of a church in Wittenberg, and thus was launched the Protestant Reformation. 95 tweets, if you will, that went viral. And, and just redid the whole face of history and uh, Europe. And we are not technically, we are not considered Protestants but we are certainly those who have inherited much of that Protestant Reformation. Justification that he resurrected as a primary teaching of Christian faith was the thing and is the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the planet. Because with few exceptions, every other religion on the planet works pretty much the same way. You have some kind of initial religious encounter or experience or initiation. And after that initial encounter, experience, initiation, then the rest of your life you seek to do whatever is required of you. Whatever you're supposed to do is part of that religion. And then when life is over, you hope that what you did was enough for whatever lies ahead. You hope it was enough. And, and Christianity is not like that. However, what's remarkable is that from time to time, I talk to people who believe they are Christians who believe exactly that, that you have an initial experience of some sort, and maybe you join a church, and then the rest of your life, you just try to be good, and you try to be a good Christian person, and you hope that's enough when life is over and you stand before God. I want you to know today that justification is not that, and it's the very thing that sets us apart from every other religion on the planet. Now, each week, we have tackled three questions. We've sought to define the word, what is justification? We've looked at the word and asked, what does this word tell us about God? And then we've taken the word and, and asked the question, essentially, why does it matter to me? Why does it matter to my life? And we want to do that today as well. So what is justification? That's our first question. What is justification? Now, I'm going to give you a long definition, 
It's got three parts to it, but as we move through uh, these points, I think it'll make sense to you what it is. What is justification? Here's the definition. It's God's action in first declaring his people righteous. Declaring his people righteous. And placing them in a state of legal perfection. Every Christian here today stands before God in a state of legal perfection before his law. On the basis of the righteousness he provided freely for them in Christ. Now there's a lot there, and we're going to try to break it down. I think it'll make perfect sense to you when we get done. What Paul uh, is saying to us, and I think it raises a question, because if justification is true, if God has made us righteous, if, if he has put us in a state of legal perfection on the basis of righteousness that he's provided for us in Christ, if that's true, it raises a really practical question for me. And here it is. How can God who is righteous, how can God who is righteous look at me who is not and say that I am righteous when I'm not. How's that possible? For God to look at you and me who are not righteous, say that we are when we're not. He does it in three ways. This is how he makes us righteous. Number one, we are made right with God without doing what is right. I didn't say you're not supposed to do what's right. I'm saying that we are made right with God. We are made right with God without doing what is right. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, listen carefully to what Paul says. Now we know that whatever the law says, and you know the laws, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that go with it, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. So what does the law accomplish? It makes me righteous or it makes me guilty? Guilty. Because no one keeps it. No one keeps it perfectly. No one does all that it requires. No one does all that it demands. Oh, you may get something right. You may do something well. You may do a couple of things right. But you and I, all we all do things wrong. And as a consequence of that, the law stares me in the face and says, Don, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're hopelessly guilty. And all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Anybody here not made of flesh? If you aren't, I'd like to talk to you. You're going to be an interesting person. No flesh will be justified by looking at the rules and trying to keep the rules. It's not going to happen. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's the best you get. The law shows us what is pure, what is perfect, what is right. But for me personally, it just shows me how messed up I am. It shows me how wrong I am. So Paul's saying you can never be right with God by keeping the rules. You're not going to get there. Doing the right thing does not justify you in God's sight. So when God justifies us, when we talk about justification, we're not talking about a pardon 
for sin. Now, pardon is certainly involved. But we're not talking about pardon when we talk about justification. We're not talking about amnesty. Because people who do something wrong and they're granted amnesty and they're allowed to go free. You know what? Amnesty comes from a Latin word that means am we get the word amnesia from it. It means to forget. Okay? So justification is not God just passing over or forgetting or not looking at what we've done. It's not, it's not pardon. It's more than a declaration of not guilty. Justification is a declaration of innocence. That, that he looks at you as if you had never sinned. A state of legal perfection before his law. As if you had never sinned. And so when he declares you just, when he declares you right before him, he's not merely looking the other way. He's looking at you and seeing something that you don't even see in yourself. So you and I are not made right, no matter how much good I think I do. I've got piles of sin to deal with. And there's no way that I'm going to be made just in the sight of God by my good works. Now, every one of us needs to come to grips with that. Because I, in a group this size, I promise you, somebody is sitting here thinking they're working their way to heaven. And you are wasting your time, according to Paul. By the deeds of the law, he says, no flesh will be justified. No one, God's not going to look at anybody and say, you're innocent. But when he justifies you, he does. So we're made right with God without doing what is right. It's bizarre. You know, even as little kids, the thing that every kid in every language, in every tribe on the planet understands is that that's not fair. You ever have a kid tell you that's not fair? Yeah. May happen on the way to church today. That's not fair. We understand that's not fair. And what God does when he justifies you and me, it's not fair. That's what he does. We are made right with God without doing what is right. Second thing. We are made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. Look now at verse 21 of Romans 3. Listen to what he says. The righteousness of God, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. They knew this was coming. Even the righteousness of God, and how does it come? Through faith in Jesus Christ. We are made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. So what does God do? I don't have the goodness of God. I have sinned. But what he does is he takes his righteousness, the perfection, the legal perfection, the goodness, the purity of Jesus, and as I trust that that is true about Jesus, that comes to me. I receive it by faith. God gives me his righteousness. We'll say more about that in a moment. As we look at verse uh, 21, it says the righteousness of God. It's not my righteousness. There's a righteousness out there that exists. It's not mine. It's of God. And how does, what, notice what he says, apart from the law. It's apart from keeping rules. You can keep all the rules you want. That's not the righteousness of God. And he says this righteousness apart from the, the, the 
the law is, is been revealed. And how does it come? We receive it by faith in Jesus. It says through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are made right with God by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, verse 8. Listen to what he says. This was his aspiration. This was his desire. This was a man who had met Jesus as Jesus had revealed himself to him. This is what he writes. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Now, if you go back and read Philippians 3, from a, a religious person's perspective, Paul appeared to be incredibly good and incredibly well-schooled in religious things, incredibly perfect in relationship to the legal things. He says, my aspiration is that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness. I'm not even looking at what I've done right, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So we're made right with God, not by doing what is right. We are made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. Now listen, there are other Christian groups that deny what I just said, that say it's not enough what Jesus did. His righteousness is not enough. You've got to add your righteousness to it. And listen, that's not just an alternative Christian doctrine. According to the Bible, that's heresy. You can't add anything to what Jesus has done, the goodness of God. And even try to be as good as God is dumb. And so we are made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. Third thing, we are made right with God as a gift. A gift. It's a gift. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Anybody here accepted from that? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your preacher has fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. Every one of us here can make that same confession, or else the Bible's not true. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how do I have a relationship with him? Being justified, remember what justification is. It's God declaring me innocent as if I'd never sinned. Being justified freely by his grace through, here's one of our words, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now we know all this goes back to what Jesus did. I'm made right with God, not by my obedience to the law, but by the death of Christ, who dies for our sins. We understand that. But here he says, we are justified. God looks at you and declares you innocent. We're justified. First, he says, freely. Now, that word's important because it means it didn't cost you anything. You didn't give something to God and he said, that's sufficient payment, now I'll give you justification. Freely means without cost to you. Freely, and then he says, how did he do this? How is this possible? By his grace. And this concept of word of grace means his favor that you don't deserve. And now listen, you can talk about the grace of Don. And there are limits to the grace of Don. I'm telling you, there are limits to the grace of Don. 
My favor on you has limits, probably. Unless it's something supernaturally, God works in me, then I can have the grace of God flowing from me. I understand that. But if we're just talking about me, my grace has limits. You come up here, you start kicking me, stepping on my toes, punching me in the stomach, slapping me around. I'm not going to feel much like favoring you. Okay? The, the favor I have is limited. But the grace of God is infinite because there are no limits to who He is. And when we talk about any aspect of who God is, we're talking about limitless character qualities. And when we talk about the grace of God, it means there is no limit to the grace of God. When I think about this in, in terms of a picture, a word picture, I think of if you've ever visited someplace like Niagara Falls. And if I could stand at the base of those falls, you can't, but if I could stand at the base of those falls and millions and millions of gallons of water constantly flowing through those falls, and that represents the grace of God, and here I am, my, my sinful self, and the grace of God keeps showering on me and pouring over me and washing away my sin, I am justified freely without cost by His grace, and it is limitless grace. I don't know what you think you've done that's so big that the grace of God can't handle it. Some of you walk about and you feel guilty all the time. You feel like you just are unacceptable to God. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll talk about that in a moment. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. If you pay for it, it's not a gift. So we're made right with God without doing what is right. We're made right through faith alone and Christ alone. We're made right as a gift, no cost to us. So when we think about defining justification, it's not God just pardoning our sin. It's God treating us, looking at us in Christ as if we'd never sinned. Second question, what does justification tell us about God? What does justification tell us about God? I want to read Romans 3, and on the screen it starts in verse 25. Just leave that up there. I'm going to start back at verse 23, okay? I just want to read this again. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption or the setting free that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, that's the sacrifice that turns away the wrath aroused by our sin. He is the sacrifice that turns away that wrath through faith. Now, why did he do all of this? To, here's, here's what's on the screen. To demonstrate his righteousness. God did all of this to show that he is righteous. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So all those people in the Old Testament that had sinned, God didn't burn them to a crisp on the spot. God was at work. He was doing something else. He was providing a way that they could be saved, providing a way that there was forgiveness, providing a way that they could be made clean in His sight. And so temporarily, He passed over those sins. And by the way, he temporarily, He's passing over our sins. And the sin of every person on the planet. And so he passes over those sins. But what does that cause us when we don't see people getting what we think they deserve? Causes us to think he's not just, doesn't it? 
God's not right. God's not fair. How could God let this happen? How could God let these people get away with murder? How could God do these things, let these terrible uh, kings and, and rulers and political leaders do such terrible things? How could they get away with all those things? Is God not just? Is God not right? He's waiting. He's patient. So he demonstrates his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. To show that he is righteous. That he might be, and here's the key, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what does justification tell us about God? It tells us that God is just and the justifier. There's no weakness in God. There's no frailty in His righteousness. There's no chinks in His armor. He is absolutely just. Now, He justifies us through a declaration. But why is He able to do that? Because of Jesus. Jesus' death. Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' payment. He's able to justify you and me. Because when you're saved, He takes you, He puts you in Christ, and, and He sees you differently forever after that. So we know he's the justifier. Can I just underscore that this word tells us he is also just? He is absolutely just. Now, to say he is the just and the justifier, that, that God, who requires perfect adherence to who he is and his character, perfect obedience from us, that everybody says that. All the religions say that, that God requires something from us. But to say that then God steps down, takes our place, and then declares us righteous based on what he has done. He transfers that to our account. He gives us credit for that. Nobody could have thought of that. Nobody made that up. But that's what he did. He is just. When he, Jesus in Matthew 22, when he summed up the law, the entire law, all the commandments, all the little laws, all the big laws, the Ten Commandments, when he summed them up, he said, there's one law that sums everything up, and what is it? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and another gospel says with all your strength. Heart, mind, soul, and strength, all of it. Now, nobody here has ever done that even for one second. Not with all your heart. Not with all not with all your soul, not with all your strength. Nobody here has ever even done it for one second. I'm sitting here teaching God's Word. I've not had anybody's full attention the entire service. Now, that's not an indictment. If I was sitting there, that would be as true of me as it is of you. Preacher says something, oh, that was, okay, oh, I, you know, some, oh, I got a text, whatever. I mean, we're not, we don't even give all of our attention to one another. There's no way that we love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all our strength, but yet God requires it. And it sums up the first four commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make images. I don't take my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those first four are all summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Then you go back to the other six commandments, 
And, they, and he comes back and he says, the second greatest commandment is, is like the first one, and you shall what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That takes in the other six commandments. Don't honor your father and mother, murder, steal, uh, covet. Um, I'm missing one. But anyway, yeah, if you can't even remember it, you know, how do you keep it all? And so he is just, he really does require that if you're going to be in relationship with him, you've got to perfectly keep those things. So he is just. And it was so important that his justice be maintained. That's his character. That's who he is, that Jesus had to die on the cross. You, you see at the cross God's love for you, but you also see how just he is. Nobody gets away with anything. No sin ever goes unpunished. And so justification tells us that he's just and he is the justifier. The third thing, the third question, how should justification affect the way that I live? It's a verse that really applies to what we're talking about this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And look at what it says. For he made him who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He didn't even know sin. Made him who knew no sin to what? To be sin for us. That's what he gave to us. He became sin for us in our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us. That's what we gave him. We didn't give him anything else. We gave him our sin, our junk, our filth, our own rottenness, our own darkness, our own rebellion. We gave all of that to him. He became sin for us. He is our righteousness. We gave him sin. He gives us righteousness. When the son stands before the father, the father looks at the son and he sees perfect adherence to the character of God. If you look at Jesus, he is God. He reflects the person of God, the character of God, the glory of God. And when you became a Christian, when you put your trust in Jesus to save you, God took your life and he put you in Christ. So now, when God looks at you, that's all he sees. When he looks at you, he looks at you in Christ. And he sees Jesus when he looks at you. That's justification. How should justification affect the way I live? I want to comment on two things, and then we're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper. How should it affect the way I live? Number one, these are just real practical things. As I prayed about it this week, I think we need to give attention to. Number one, justification challenges me to live by faith and not by feelings. It challenges me to live by faith and not by feelings. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a response to something God has said or God has done. It's always a response to certain facts. The gospel is made up of certain facts. 
And so when I trust Christ, I'm trusting in certain facts. And justification is a fact about what God has done. It is not a feeling. When I trust Christ and I'm saved, it is a fact that I've been justified by that faith. I may not feel righteous, but I am. I may not feel forgiven and innocent, but I am. It's a fact. We live in a culture that is so feeling-oriented that what I'm describing to you sounds as alien if someone came speaking to us from Mars. We are so consumed with our feelings and how I feel. We live in a therapeutic culture. How do you feel? How are you doing today? And that's the way our minds work. And what I feel must be the truth. I'm telling you that's not the truth. The facts of the gospel are where we place our faith. And then we trust or rest in those facts. So justification challenges me to live by faith and not by feelings. I need to deal with the facts of the gospel. Second thing, last thing. Justification reminds me to turn to God alone to learn the truth about who I am. A lot of the same reasons that I mentioned in number one. I may feel like God's angry with me. God's not happy with me. That God wants to destroy me. That God's against me just because something went wrong in my life or something went wrong in my family. And God is wrathful. God is angry at me. And that's what I'm thinking. The fact is, the propitiation, that word we studied several weeks ago, propitiation says that Jesus is the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. There's no wrath left for the things I've done. Whatever's happening in my life and my circumstances, it's not an expression of the anger of God. It has nothing to do with the anger of God. I may feel like I'm trapped and there's no hope for me. I may have a sin habit I can't seem to overcome. And my, and my wanna, I may want to question God and say, God, I'm feeling this bondage. I feel trapped. I feel hopeless. And yet the Bible says the fact is you've been redeemed. That through the death of Christ, he paid the price to set you free. There's a way through what you're experiencing. There's a way to be free. There's a way to overcome sin in your life. I may feel like that when things go wrong in my life, that God's at war with me, that I can't have a relationship with God. Oh, I've trusted Jesus, but he's way out there, and he's like my dad was, or he's like my, my friends that dump me are, he's like the people who hate me are, he's off distant, he's at war with me. And yet we studied last week that God is the one who reconciles us to himself. He takes the very cause of our conflict, the very cause of the enmity, the very cause of the fact that we once were enemies, and he takes it out of the way when he takes away our sin. God's not at war with you. That's why in Romans 5, Paul writes, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace. It's a fact. It's not a feeling. There's a kind of peace. It's a feeling. But in, in Romans 5.1, it's a fact. We have peace with God. He's not at war with you if you've trusted Jesus. And so if I, I've got to understand that God has justified me he sees me as innocent. But that may not be the way I see myself. And I've got to learn 
that if I want to know the truth about me, if I want to know the truth about what I can do and what I can't do, if I want to know the truth, I can't depend on my feelings or my thoughts or the opinions of my friends. I've got to turn to God if I want the truth about me. He's the only one that can tell you the truth about you. Assurance comes when I rest more in what God sees and what God says than what I see in myself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Justification. Praise the Lord.